impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you, and we promise to respect your time. This is a podcast where we're on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We do that by embracing discomfort, cultivating community, and putting wind in each other's sails. And before we get the wind in our sails from today's guest, I just want to remind you to hit that subscribe button to get a new episode each and every single week. Share this with a friend if you continue to get value from these episodes, and please leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. Without any further ado, I'm excited to introduce today's guest, president and founder of Critical Therapy Institute, Sylvia Dutkevich, joining out of us out of New York. Sylvia, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Absolutely. And and before we jump into some of your expertise and, and kind of uh, jump into our conversation today, I want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience, let you guys get acquainted, and then we can kind of jump into some of the subject matter after that. So please, the floor is yours. Sure. So um, at heart, I am a psychotherapist. You know, I'm one of these people that I'm so fortunate to have found a profession that it doesn't feel like a job. So I come in and I sort of speak to people and um, do psychotherapy with them. And I feel it's a privilege to be a part of people's lives in such a special and unique way. It's a very unique relationship, you know, Um, and we can talk more about that. I am also the president and founder of the Critical Therapy Institute, Um, and critical therapy is a unique form of therapy. Um, I just released a book that came out last month that talks a little bit about our work. Um, In very simple terms, what makes us different is that we combine the personal with the political in the psychotherapy hour. We have a very deep analysis of power in relationships inside and outside the psychotherapy relationship. Um, And we believe that the personal is political, obviously, that um, our many different identities and the way they intersect in the world will always have to be a part of psychotherapy. Um, and this comes from a long tradition of, as a you know social worker, I discovered that you have the traditional of clinical psychotherapy that looks at individual problems, why you do the things you do and your family dynamics. And then you have a more social justice um, ty- type of interaction, which is looking at societal problems. Now, those two different schools of thought never really connect in the psychotherapy room. And I feel to leave out the political and not sort of look at how issues such as racism, sexism, poverty impact and affect one's mental health is really to miss out. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We train people in critical therapy, and I'm so excited that people have joined us and continue to join us. And uh, we're spreading the word. Yeah. And I think that's amazing because I think us as humans, biologically, we are we are wired to live in community. We are wired to really seek the approval of others, which is why public speaking could be such a a fear for so many people, such a phobia, because it's really that lizard brain, which is afraid of being excommunicated from the group because isolation meant death in the past. So because of that, our our personal behaviors might adapt and adjust a little bit to those surroundings. Um, I'd love to hear some of your insights a little bit on how that might work in maybe the thought process and maybe the behaviors of men today in terms of pressures on how to show up in their everyday lives or in their families and their households. 
something that society might be projecting towards us that can play into the psyche of how uh, men might operate, generally speaking, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting um, that you talk about community because we do live in communities and we tend to ignore that in psychotherapy sometimes, right? You go into the psychotherapist's office and you talk about your problems as if somehow those problems are not always interrelated to the bigger world. Mm-hmm. Um, and community impacts the way we show up in the world, but in positive and negative ways. I think it's very, we live in interesting times. Mm-hmm. It is difficult to, it's difficult to be a woman. It's definitely difficult to be a man, right? What do we, what do we, um, understand to be something that's particularly unique to men, to masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. There is, but what is positive masculinity? You know, um, it's difficult to say because again, our society and our culture teaches us, both men and women, mm-hmm. ever since we're born from birth about certain norms and certain rules. And those rules, unfortunately, because we do live in a capitalist consumer, you know, patriarchal power over model of society are not very conducive to the community. I think one of the things about manhood, especially because most men have some privilege and that depends on where you fall on that scale, right? Your race is part of that, your sexual orientation and so forth all contribute to how much power you have in the world and how do you understand that power? Unfortunately, again, we don't do such a good job in our society to teach people that power can be constructive. Power can be something that you use to help others, to facilitate conversations mm-hmm. rather than something that you exert over someone. Yeah, that's amazing. Power being constructive as opposed to what most people might think is destructive, right? And it's almost like the term when we hear in the comic books, Spider-Man to to where much is given or those with a lot of power, there's a lot of responsibility. Um, And it's funny. Yeah, we hear that, but we don't practice that. If you think about our models of um, interactions at work, if you think about models in traditional patriarchal sort of marriages and heterosexual couples, it's never really sharing of power. It's really a power over. So one of the things about power that I think it's important for people to take from this, you know, sort of podcast, if you take nothing else, remember this, that power is always within a dynamic It exists in every relationship. So there's nothing wrong with having power. It shifts in that relationship. You could have certain powers in certain areas. And it's how you use that that decides who you want to be in the world, who you you want to be in society. Mm. Also, you can learn how to share that power. Unfortunately, we don't have very good models because we live in a world that's always about power over, about conquering, about being the best, about winning and so forth. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I was just going to say, you know, I could hear uh, some listeners getting triggered by thinking, whoa, I have a privilege as as a man or uh, the power that I have. But the reality is, is and I think there's been kind of the talks of with like servant leadership, right, is it's Uh like, how do you use your position to pour into others and how do you use your position wherever it might be right to enhance and elevate the situation that you're in. And to your point, I don't think we're taught that. I don't think that's something that's given to us from a young age. And and I could say from personal experience, I heard a lot about, okay, toxic masculinity, but I'm looking up like, 
So what does that mean? Like, do I suppress what's within me or are my, I guess my innate ambition and some of my competitiveness, is that a bad thing? And should I ignore it where maybe someone could teach me how to nurture it, grow it, aim it and utilize it for good in the world? I guess, how does that conversation come about? And I know you're leaning into kind of spreading more of that, but how do we break through the noise and start helping uh, not just men, but really society start kind of rethinking things a little bit? Yeah, a couple of things. The first one where we talked about privilege, um, all of us have some sort of privilege at some point or another in our lives, mm. right? Because if we take think about intersectionality and we take think about that we are made out of many different identities, those mm. identities, depending on where they fall in our society, could give us less or more privilege. So, again, similar to power, it's like we can't do away with power. We can't do away with privilege, but we could use it to help others. We could use it to give a seat at the table. We could use it to give someone who doesn't have a voice a voice. Mm -hmm. So that's important, right? So privilege is not like, because I think as long as we think privilege is always bad, then we sort of kind of pretend we don't have it. And that's when it's problematic, similar to power. Whenever we pretend we don't have power, that, that doesn't end well. Um, and to go back to this idea of, you know, what does it mean to be a man or, in, you know, a male identified masculine person in this world? Mm-hmm. It's an excellent question. I, I don't know because it's so fraught with so many things. Um, and that's because how we are in the world is so much a product of our parenting, mm-hmm. a product of our society and a product of messages that we we get, right? Um, whether you're competitive or not, it doesn't make you a man or a woman, but we have um, designated those characteristics to certain genders. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, if you're a guy and you're very motivated, that's great. If you're a woman and you're too ambitious, that's not so good. So mm-hmm. it's society who dictates some of those things, but that doesn't mean we're powerless. How we decide to interrogate the messages that we received it's important and i know it's difficult because it requires for each and one of us to reckon with why do we believe the things that we do 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 those things actually help us to be more collaborative to have community or are those things enable us to be more powerful and to dictate what we want to do um and i think we don't have very good models and, and you know, and, and speaking from experience and you've talked about your personal experience, I do think it also starts with parenting. We do not do a good job teaching kids, teaching boys, teaching girls how to be collaborative. We do not, especially for men, we don't allow them to experience a lot of their emotions. Boys don't cry. Be a man, stand up, do this. Um, And I ask fathers out there, how do you show up as a father with both your, you know, boys and girls, your daughters and your sons? What do you model and what do you teach them around how to be more collaborative and to have healthier relationships? Yeah, I'm going to take the conversation kind of towards things that are happening currently, because you, you said collaborative a couple of times and the that got me thinking to how our political culture is more divisive now. And and you have to kind of, to your point, acknowledge that as more of the societal pressure 
has come down on people, you're seeing more of the divisiveness. It's almost like that societal weight is leading to more of this, this split as opposed to a collaborative approach to things, which is ironic because, I mean, you could almost say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is when you put someone in that fight or flight or you put somebody under that pressure, they go to instinctual responses, instinctual um, measures, which, as we see, becomes more divisive than collaborative, maybe because of the way we've been conditioned. How has that kind of pulled us apart and what ways can we see to maybe try to bring this back together? Is there a way back together? Oh, I hope so. Right. Um, I I think one of the problems we have in our politics is that we're so obsessed with sound bites. Mm. We are no longer having conversations where our conversations around political issues are dictated by media rather than by needs. Mm. Um, And this idea of win or lose has taken over not just politics, everything we do in our lives. The idea that you can't be wrong is fascinating to me. You know, we we hold people accountable like you had this view and it was wrong. And then, okay, now I've changed it. And somehow you're not supposed to change as if you were supposed to be enlightened. We're not. It's all a process. And I think we're all learning. One of the things that we do in critical therapy that I think is essential because we do end up investigating and talking about political issues and how they impact you and your values, um, we end up sometimes having very difficult and um, interesting conversations because our patients are not just like us. And I think it's a good model to teach us how do we have conversations where our opinions are different, but we're willing to listen and really not just tear each other down, but understand your perspective. I think if you understand another person's perspective, it's easier to engage in a dialogue. And hopefully with that dialogue, both of us get to change our minds in some way. Both of us get to learn. Both of us get to grow. Yeah, I use the term and I've said it before of, you know, we need to learn how to eat the meat and leave the bones where I, I've had a disagreement with uh, with a friend before. This was uh, not even a friend. I can't say this was a friend. I actually really do not like this person. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest. But the disagreement um, was pretty much, uh, I confronted them. I said, you don't like me. And they went off on why they didn't like me. And they said some reasons why. And I said, okay, thanks for that. And I left. And after that, what I took away was, ooh, there's something that that person said that they don't like about me that I need to work on. Like, like I'm, I'm still not a big fan of this person, but because I sat and listened to how they felt about me, how I showed up in their world, I was able to identify something in myself that I had to work on. And one of the first episodes I said, you know, I just, I know this is a recorded medium and I work in TV. So I know that my job is a little bit I have to be more polished, but I also said, I want the, I want to have the audacity to be wrong because if I never say something out loud, that's wrong, I am going to be stuck with the wrong thought process my whole life. But if I can sit in a comfortable medium, like, like you and I, and speak what's on my mind and we can maybe gently correct each other, understand each other, say, have you thought about it like this? Well, there's some of the uh, opportunity for growth and development in, in terms of where our views might be. Um, Yeah, and I think especially because of 
your podcast and especially because you are a man and because you're trying to reach out to men i think that's such a valuable lesson because we don't allow men to be wrong right um it, it's it's something like it, you try to watch men apologize it's painful because we haven't taught them how to do it and that has almost sort of seeped into our culture overall you know, one of the fascinating things to me that was pointed out by V, formerly Eve Ensler, at a meeting, she talked about how, you know, Me Too happened and all these very powerful men, you know, came down with all these allegations and what happened and so forth. And yet, as she correctly said, none of them actually apologized publicly for what happened. Mm. Mm. We and I think... <laughs> Yeah. And that, that's something to think about. How do we, how do we, how do we teach men? How do we teach boys to apologize? And how can you change unless you're willing to take that responsibility? Apologies, good ones at least, are about really reckoning with what you've done and really being able to look at it and being able to make amends. Do you think we live in a society, in a society that forgives? Uh, I hope so, but I don't think we do it publicly. Mm. We tend to forget. Forgetting is not forgiving, right? So this is also important psychotherapeutically. When we talk about if someone has wronged you, the uh, if they really want to make amends, it's not about just saying, I'm sorry, can you let go of that? Because you may not, there are some things that are unforgivable. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, instead of, can you let go of that? How can I show up for you differently that I can help you to heal? Mm. So healing and forgiveness have to go hand in hand. Otherwise it's just an empty promise of, well, let's just say we're okay now and move on. Mm -hmm. And does our society need healing? Certainly. I think a lot of us do, but that's part of the goal of the podcast or sort of the, all the listeners. Shout out to you guys and you ladies for taking those steps uh, to work on that healing um, in terms of because you've mentioned a couple of times of the, I guess, the makeup of society and some of the challenges that might be facing men. What are some of those challenges that you see for for any guys that are listening who are like, you know, I'm out here trying to figure it out, doing the best I can. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to be enough. Um, and that's that's something I've heard a lot of guys say is like, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And no matter what I do, it doesn't seem to, to be enough. What's missing and, and what, what are we missing if we're we're not putting our efforts in the, in the right area? Yeah, I mean, I think I think about dating. I think that's a, a good example of men struggling. I hear so many stories of, you know, men out there, especially. Uh, but it's both, you know, men who are heterosexual and men who are gay, LBGTQ and so forth. But especially in heterosexual relationships, it is so difficult to find out what the rules, quote unquote, are these days. What I often say is I think we should do away with the rules and be more present. Mm -hmm. If you think about dating in heterosexual relationships, I feel like men and women just follow scripts. Oh, if I like you, I need to do this. Well, if I like you, I need to do this. As opposed to genuinely being present and vulnerable and expressing emotions. But no one does it, right? Think about, do I text now? No, it's been three minutes. We got away another 20. Because we're following these crazy scripts that don't really work, but everyone's still doing it. Mm 
I also think um, the economic times having come out of COVID and isolation and having sort of wrestled with job security, the precarity of work is difficult for men, especially who have been traditionally seen as the ones who have to provide for their families. Mm. There's a lot of pressures. We also told men to be strong, not to show emotions. And now we're asking them to show up differently, but we haven't really created, you know, sort of the guidelines of what that is. Mm. I think we have to do a better job to teach boys. How do you show up as a man in a society that doesn't allow you to be vulnerable? And how do you not kill that spirit? Right. If you've seen young children, you know, boys and girls, they're very sort of similar. They have similar interests. They want to take chances. And slowly we narrow who they should be by saying, you can't wear that. You can't do that. You should do this. And I think if we were able to to change that slowly, now it's not going to happen tomorrow. It will happen over time uh, to really find ourselves, especially for men is what do you feel? How do you want to show up in the world? But knowing that there's pressure that other guys will, you know, make fun of you, bully you and so forth, because that's very real. Mm-hmm. Um One of the things I found out many years ago, I used to work for the Ms. Foundation for Women. And back then they did a program called Take Our Daughters to Work, which was one of the first programs where, you know, you probably heard about it. People brought their kids to work to see what they're doing, you know, and it was a way to help women be what they they couldn't see. It's like, if you want to be a lawyer, your dad takes you to work, maybe you'll be a lawyer one day. One of the things we found out from doing the research on that, that was fascinating to me. And this is back in, you know, 30 years ago now, like in the eighties and so forth, right? Is that long? Anyway, uh, one of the things I'm old, one of the things we found out was that men came back and said, thank you for allowing me to be a public father. It was the first time in their lives, this was in the 80s, where men would take their daughters to work and their children to work. So again, I I, I think most men, you know, because I believe we're all human. We all have the need for connection. We all want to be vulnerable. We all want to be collaborative. Yet that has been so stifled and so sort of uh, the message has been you shouldn't do that. So I think it's really reckoning and critically looking at what you believe versus how you live out those values. Yeah. I think we've been, you know, I could say from personal experience, selective, right. In terms of, you know, I mentioned appearing with a shell or a suit of armor and you really don't get to take that armor off unless I'm with someone I could be uh, vulnerable and intimate with, whether it be my wife or a a close group of friends. But unfortunately there's some guys that don't don't even have that. And Mm. with the lack of connection, they walk around with that with that suit of armor, it's almost as though, to your point, we want to be vulnerable. We look for that connection, but we've kind of been programmed to have this, this strength, have this persona. And because we've seen, I joke about, you know, Michael Jordan cries in a documentary. He's a meme, right? And you get the meme and the tears all over the place. So it's almost like we still don't trust. We don't trust showing that emotion. We don't trust being vulnerable because it is used against us. Sometimes when we show the vulnerability, that's where the knife gets stabbed in. Um, And I think even Tom Brady going through a divorce, uh, one of his former teammates putting up a shirt of, oh, uh, thing for fatherless children and stuff like that. You know, once that vulnerability is shown, it's almost exploited and take advantage of, which is why Mm -hmm. so men get guarded. How can we, I guess, vet 
navigate, find that that safe place where, you know, I could I'll put it this way. I'm OK with wearing the armor because I, I understand there's gonna, probably there's going to be some times where I have to. There's some times where I'm going to have to uh, nut up, shut up and do what needs to be done. But I'm OK with that as long as I know I can also find a, a time to take a break. I can take it off. I don't mind if it's heavy as long as I can put it down. How do I find where to put it down? Yeah. And also, as you've said, it's an armor that maybe when you wear it long enough, you can no longer take it off. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't know, you no longer know what's the armor and what's you. And you become so caught off that you just sort of show up in the world the way you've been policed to do. And you're right. You gave examples how we police people, how we police gender, how we police the way people need to show up, Um, which is fascinating because it hasn't worked out. It wasn't it's not like society is doing so well. Men are doing so well. Women are so happy. Everything's great. Let's keep the old models going. They haven't worked for anyone. And yet we still do it. I think it's also tied in with capitalism. I think it's tied in with who does this serve to be this way? Um, and, And I think it is I don't want to just put it on the individual. Right. Because we go back to we can't say the personal is political, but every man should look at themselves. And yes, every man should look at themselves, question these things. But I think we need to, and you're doing this with this podcast, create spaces mm-hmm. where people could interrogate their beliefs, where people could feel safe to be like, yeah, I kind of do want to express my feelings. Why is that not okay? Mm-hmm. And creating more of these spaces creates cracks in the system because there is a system, right? It's patriarchy. It's consumerism and so forth, capitalism, you know, and so, and so racism and so forth. So I think as, as long as we create the cracks, eventually things will collapse. Everyone wants a revolution. The revolution happens mostly over time, baby steps, right? We, but we have to keep doing it. We can't give up. I think the more we talk about it, the more we interrogate it, the more we speak out against bullying, against, you know, people make fun of people who act differently, the more that will change. But it's up to all of us. It can't just be you or this person. It has to be all of us. And I think, and this is why I'm on your podcast, right? Because I think it's both men, women, everyone in between. I don't think this is just a job for this gender, that gender, this and that. It's for all of us to come together and be like, this is not working. It's mm-hmm. not helping us. What can we do differently? Do you mind if I play devil's advocate? Go ahead. <laughs> it's a question I asked my dad. Um, and it was more probably in regards to, to racism and, and just how the world was. And I asked my dad, I said, is it easier to, is it easier to learn how to function in the world as it is or change the world? And my dad mentioned that, you know, he's like some who've gotten close to changing the world or those who've put their all in the changing the world. And he mentioned like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, he's like, have sometimes gotten killed for it. Right. The press against the status quo almost. Um, what do you think in terms of if there is a, a, a structure? And I only say this because I find myself somewhere in the middle where I have my certain views, my certain opinions, my certain ideas on how things might be or should go. However, looking at the playing field as it is, you give me the rule book, I'm going to study the rule book and I'm like, okay, so this is the game we're playing. 
all right, I'll play by these rules. I'll find out how to win. I'll find out how to advance. And, and that's gotten me to a comfortable place in life. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't work for everybody. Unfortunately, that's not an inclusive type of perspective. It's more of a, this is what works for me. So that's my little devil's advocate of, okay, changing it or learning how to navigate in what we have. I don't think it's an either or. Mm. Um, I do think... It's important, especially if you have kids, that you teach them some of the rules, but you also teach them why they're wrong. Um, you know, the examples that you give that your dad talked about um, goes back to power. Uh, I think it's not if you if you look at, you know, Malcolm X, MLK and so forth. You look at leaders who had less power than us white people. We have to claim that. I mean, I think if we want to end racism, it's up to also us who have more power and privilege to work against that. Mm. If you want to change, if you're a super masculine guy who, you know, has superpowers and, you know, meaning not superpowers, but you have very powerful work, when you go into your job, how you are going to act with your workers is going to change the system. I think whenever we think about changing the system, we think about those less powerful changing it. And you're right, that could be dangerous, that could get you killed, that could be leading to a lot of pain. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but it, it has its repercussions. But if we also think of revolution as something that we people in power and privilege or we white people, right, or we, in your case, men and so forth, want to contribute to, then it's very different. Mm. Because if you have power and you're willing to show a different way of being in the world, it could open up so many possibilities for everyone else. Yeah. So your dad would right? In some sense, and also I would say if at the time the white leaders were just as animate, uh, just as passionate about civil rights or were just as passionate about ending racism, we would have a different world today. But we were not, right? Because we failed and we continue to fail on these very issues that hurt everyone, but especially certain people, right? I'm not one of these people that's like, Racism hurts everyone. It does hurt everyone, but it impacts black people differently. Sexism hurts everyone. And it also impacts women differently. So, you know, I think there's a nuance um, and a conversation to be had. But thank you for pointing out to anyone out there, if you're in a position of power, you are the one who is going to have more power in changing the world than those who do not. Yeah. Unfortunately, in our society, the hard work of changing the world has always fallen on those less powerful. Also, because they are more, you know, sort of committed to it because it's it's so unbearable. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of the ones under the pressure of the necessity for change. So they're kind of the, the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. But I, I do kind of I love how you said it's not one or the other, because I would say that for for me, navigating to get to where I've been in life allows me from, you know, as someone who's entrepreneurial, as someone who wants to start businesses and and make a lot of money in the future, that's that's an eight in me that I had it entrepreneurial growing up. I know that when I have friends who I'm teaching, oh, did you start your LLC? And it's the other thing. And when they say, oh, I don't need to be rich. I tell them, no, the world needs, needs more rich people like you. Like, so you might not need to be rich for yourself, but I know what you would do with a lot of money. It's a lot better than what somebody else might. So I'm still going to teach you these skills. Um, Sylvia, this has been uh, amazing. 
very, very valuable and helpful. I, I would love for folks to have a way to not only get in contact with you, but pick up the book, uh, Critical Therapy, Power of Liberation in Psychotherapy, and of course, how they can get the links to follow you on social as well. Sure. So visiting uh, criticaltherapy.org is the best way to figure out where you want to buy the book from. Also, when you go to the webpage, there's an Instagram link, which links directly to my account, because my name is so difficult that we figured we had to do that. Yeah. So if you want to reach out to me, particularly if you go to the website, my Instagram is there. Also, you could email me and I'll, I'll get it. Um, I love to talk to people. I love to interact and to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. And uh, last question that I ask my guests is what's something that has happened to you in the world, something you've seen or observed that has shaped the way you view the world as a woman? Wow, that's a, a deep Everyone. question. You throw that at the end. <laughs> that's, so, that's how uh, I always do it. <laughs> um, there's so many things. I think I came as a refugee from Romania. Um, and I think that has impacted the way I see the world. Um, and also I have seen, I think the biggest impact that has, that has sort of come to me as a woman was I ended up initially wanting to work with trauma survivors. So I, because of my history, obviously I wanted to work with refugees, political prisoners and so forth. And I was really into it, wanted to train it and did it. And then slowly I realized that most of the difficult, torturous and unspeakable acts that happen to people happen in their homes and they happen to women in their homes. Mm -hmm. And I and no one talks about it. It is much more difficult to heal from because the people that are supposed to love and protect you don't and actually inflict pain on you. So I've changed. And as a result, I ended up working with, you know, domestic violence survivors, childhood se sexual abuse survivors, which mostly, unfortunately, are women. So I think that has been a very enlightening and also saddened and hopeful uh, realization for me that if we want to change the world and if we want women to have more power if we want men to be different it has to start in our homes it has to start by teaching men and women how to have collaborative relationships and how to share power together yeah absolutely and i know during the pandemic i we spoke about that a number of times of you know for someone to be isolated in their home someplace that is supposed to be safe and unfortunately not safe and I, I talk a lot about, sure, I could say I think society has, you know, had not a vendetta, but has kind of attacked men and they're maybe afraid of strong men. But I've also said, OK, but where have the strong men been to protect? Where have the strong men been? Which is why I always preach the responsibility. Like you mentioned, if if you are someone in that position with that privilege, with that power, what you do with it and how you set your home does matter. Sylvia. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I Please. have to make a comment about strong Please. men. I'm sorry. Because one of the things that I would like for men to keep in mind is what makes you a strong man is not exerting power over someone who's weaker than you, mm. whether it's your children, whether it's your wife, whether it's your girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever. What makes a strong man is someone who has power and uses it to help others or to, you know, be more um collaborative what makes us strong is not when we are up here 
together and, you know, we're so high and then we're beating down people underneath us. That doesn't make you strong. That just makes you actually abusive. Um, And I think that's important for men to keep in mind. Your weakness is not by giving in by, you know, sort of negotiating with those less powerful than you. Your weakness is when you actually exert power over people who you can because you can. Yeah. I think for me, I, I, I look at, I call it my capacity, increasing capacity for what I can give to others, how I can serve others. And as I increase my capacity as a man, whether it be physically, financially, emotionally, that allows me to have abundance in my life to better pour into others, filling up my cup to pour into others. I, I love the way you put that. Sylvia, thank you so much. I'm going to recap actually uh, some of the some of the tidbits you left along the way because it, it was amazing in terms of community impacts the way we show up. It absolutely does. We, we we talked about it so many times. And then when we actually kind of came full circle around finishing with power, we started with that before because I, I know some of the fellas listening can get a trigger right away when you say, oh, man, yeah, you have privilege. Listen, fellas, understand that the power is constructive, not destructive, collaborative, not divisive. And how you use that to much is to what much is given, much is required. That responsibility that we can't just say it. It's not just something we read in a comic book. We need to practice it and put it into our everyday lives. And of course, parenting. How are we teaching the next generation to operate collaboratively? Are we helping them navigate their issues? Are we helping them talk things out, understand each other, take the meat, leave the bones? And of course, living in a world where it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to change your mind and evolve over time, but also learning how to apologize and forgive, not just forget. Finally, how do you want to show up in the world? A question we should all ask ourselves, meditate on, ask ourselves how we got the beliefs that we got, who gave them to us, and what intentions they might have had for our lives when they gave us those beliefs, and also understand that the world that our parents grew up in is likely different than the world that we live in now, and the world our kids grow up in will be different than the world that we grew up in. Sylvia, thank you again to the guests, uh, to to the audience and everyone. Thank you for making it to the end. As always, if you got value from this, please share this with a friend. It would mean the world to us and leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is when you let us know and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week. Thanks for making it to the end. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. Thank you.